0: Welcome to Talking Supply Chain. In each episode, top supply chain industry professionals and the nation's top thought leaders join host Brian Strait and share their unique insights to help supply chain managers stay one step ahead of their competition. This is Talking Supply Chain. Hello and welcome to Talking Supply Chain. My name is Brian Strait and today we're going to tackle the topic of retail fulfillment. Everyone's been talking about omni-channel fulfillment, but is that really the best way of getting product into customers' hands? Our guest today is gonna help us answer that question. Bill Thayer is founder and CEO of Philogic, which takes excess space in retail locations and turns it into fulfillment centers serving the middle mile. Prior to founding Philogic in 2018, Bill's career had taken him on a varied retail and logistics journey. He has more than 30 years of experience in retail logistics, e-commerce, technology, store operations, and consulting. He started his career at Macy's in the buyer training program, and eventually came full circle, returning to Macy's later in his returning to Macy's, I should say, later in his career to help them design and set up their backstage logistics network. During his career, Bill identified what he felt was a gap in the logistics capabilities that support physical retail locations, and that helped lead to the founding of Fullogic. Bill, welcome. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Brian, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Great. I'm glad to have you here. I'm excited to get into this topic a little bit with you. Um, I, I gave a little bit of background, but I was wondering if you could give a little more about yourself and what you guys have doing at Philogic um, to help our audience to kind of understand and set the stage for what we're going to discuss today.
1: Sure. Sure. I, I think one of the most important pieces of what we look at, physical retail is the core of what happens in retail today. You know, Over 75% of sales still come from a physical location, but it's poorly served by logistics and logistics technology. And so back in 2018, we saw that gap, said, hey, how can we make these locations operate more efficiently logistically? Because when you look at malls, for example, they are retail experience platforms, right? They build beautiful buildings and they provide it for those retailers to experience. They also have food and experiential, but that fourth pillar of logistics and logistics technology has never really existed. Retailers try to do that. Um, within their own networks. Walmart does a great job of that. Target does a great job of that. But when you think about aggregating the demand of all retailers across that infrastructure, there's never been an agnostic B2B logistics infrastructure platform until us. Um, We're big believers that the future is about physical retail, um, and it's not just the digital or physical, it's about everything. And that's sort of the the backup of what we call channel-free logistics.
0: Yeah, and that's, and that's kind of why I wanted to get you on here because you guys tout this channel-free logistics. I I think if I say omni-channel fulfillment, everybody I think is familiar with that, right? I mean, and many people are doing it. Some people are doing it very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're kind of talking about this channel-free logistics. Can you kind of explain what exactly that is? And sure. I, I mean, is that just simply an extension of omni-channel fulfillment or is this something really different?
1: So the, the way we look at it is omni-channel is something that was built 20 or 30 years ago and nobody understood what digital commerce was going to be. You know, back in the old days in retail, when we talked about e-commerce, that was the shiny object. It was put off to the side. It was run by usually marketing divisions. Mm -hmm. Then when it became a larger business, you tried to consolidate that within existing infrastructure. Nobody did that very well. You had your e-commerce merchants, you had your e-commerce platforms, you had e-commerce fulfillment, you name it. And and that basically jumbled up a network. So you had logistics infrastructure problems at retailers, technology problems at retailers, and sort of understanding sort of the, the front end about how you communicate. That is where the term omni-channel came from. Omni-channel and channels denote Silos, they denote walls, they denote infrastructure, but at the same time, cost, lack of speed and efficiency. Mm -hmm. And what I think we've learned over the last 10 years, and if nobody understood it during the pandemic, they definitely get it now. Customers don't think in channels, they never have. Um, They've always thought about, hey, I wanna buy my stuff. I don't care if it comes from a retail store. I don't care if it comes as a dropship. It doesn't matter to me. Retailer, that's your problem. And many retailers have tried to dictate terms to say, okay, customer, this is how you're going to shop. Amazon has always been customer focused. Great, makes sense. Um, A lot of the other larger retailers have been pretty good about that sort of direction. Our whole point is channel-free means how do you build logistics networks and the technology that supports them to support that channel-free vision of the future, which is a customer vision which how can I meet the uh, demand of the customer wherever they are? In many cases, it could be a brand that sells from their stores, but it also sells through uh, a dropship partner that also sells from an integration partner. Um, I, I think, well, we know from what we've seen over the last few years, is the future is about collaboration and retailers, brands, technology companies, as well as logistics service providers all have to operate collaboratively Um, and at scale to be able to support Channel Free Logistics. So Channel Free Logistics is pretty much all that channel stuff that's been built. Throw it away, build off of your existing infrastructure. Think about it this way. There's been so much talk about the demise of malls and physical retail. It's not just about malls, it's about the right malls. So, yeah, are we overstored in this country still? Yeah, absolutely. But the best malls with the best mall owners are still very successful and channel free logistics only makes their business better and only makes those retailers business better because it's all about simplifying and you know, in, in simplizing or, or simplifying the process. Um, because omnichannels only worked for one group of people, consultants, they made a ton of money off of it. Great. God bless them. Also technology folks as well. Yeah. Sorry, those days are over. Simplification <laughs> collaboration. That's the future.
0: Yeah. So as you, Talk about this. I mean, I, I, you kind of touched on this. I, w- I was going to read a quote from uh, your website that I actually had found. And I, I kind of liked it, and I kind of felt it summarized. But I think you may have just. Well, thank
1: you. <laughs> you. We put a lot of effort into that website.
0: <laughs> um, I think you may have just done it. I'm happy to read if you want. But I think you may have kind of just summed up what the quote really was about, anyway. Um, there, but but I wanted to get to like, you know, even in the channel free logistics. I mean, there's still logistics as part of this, right? So. Um, that requires an infrastructure of some sort. You've talked about malls and and space and and things like that. So can you talk about it in order for channel-free logistics to be successful? What does that that infrastructure have to look like?
1: Sure. Um, And so our whole point is I I spent my career in large buildings. I love unit sorter and and heavy mechanics and and optimization and, and automation. Love that stuff. That's not our business. Our business is taking underutilized spaces. In many cases, they're not contiguous. Um, Unfortunately, when you look at what happened in Omnichannel, uh, a lot of what happens in the engineering space is, okay, to be efficient, you need a 200,000 square foot building, 40 foot clear, with a lot of robots running around in it. Who can afford that anymore? Uh, Industrial real estate has never been more expensive. Granted, um, there's a lot of capacity out there now, just ask Amazon, they can sell you a building or lease you a building. But the the component to us is a flexible network using existing infrastructure, retail infrastructure and deploying the technology and the operations logistically. So we have buildings that are as big as 100,000, uh, you know, over 150,000 square feet. And we have buildings that are 4,000 square feet is, what is the need of the retailer and the demand in that location And what are we going to deploy to it? But I'll tell you this much, all of that demand and that need is around existing mall infrastructure in this uh, country. It's where people live. It's where they transact. It's where they do returns. It's where they live their lives. And getting further and further into the middle of a cornfield, it's not sustainable. Um, it, It is definitely not circular. Our whole point is getting closer. It's faster. It's more efficient. And from our perspective, we don't look at Circularity and sustainable, sustainability is something else you do. It's more of a process that we live with upfront. It's yeah. an important part of that business.
0: And, and just like as an aside, I mean, I, I've loved, I, I visited some malls recently, you know, and look, I mean, it's not, a, if, if I said that, hey, 50% of malls are empty these days, and, and it's not exactly, not a number, I don't know what the number actually is, but it seems like that, right? You walk into a mall and it seems like half of it's empty. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of space there, but I really have loved what some of the mall operators seem to be doing these days and, and kind of really turning them back into destinations. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of different things going on now. You go to the mall and you can do entertainment, you can do restaurants, you can do shopping, you know it's no longer just you walk in, you walk into your stores and you walk out, kind of thing. So this kind of this kind of usage of the space I think fits nicely into that. It, it makes that that mall operator gives them something to fill all the space and and create use more capacity, right? I mean, if you if you're renting space, you're making money as a mall operator. Um, and you guys are doing it um, by the same way by taking that space, you're helping out these retailers.
1: Correct. And I, and I think the most important thing to understand here is the right mall owners. So a perfect example is Simon Property Group, largest mall owner in the US. They've always understood that they're a platform for retail. Mm-hmm. And what they've heard from their retail um, tenants is we need help on wh- how we're going to handle logistics. What are solutions that you can bring to the, to the fore to help us be more efficient? But what they also understand is if you're not providing a solution that's agnostic and cross-platform, Mall owner agnostic, retailer agnostic, carrier agnostic, technology agnostic. Um, then it's not going to work. This is not something that you can own. This is an ecosystem play that allows retailers to cross multiple location, cross regions. Um, because you know, when when we talk with retailers, you know, we, we kind of take what we call the logistics Swiss Army knife approach. You know, we say there's a lot of things going on on our logistics Swiss Army knife, but what's your big blade? What's the thing that matters the most to you? Because you don't need the tweezers and nobody needs the magnifying glass anymore. What are the things that you need? And what's helped us is we're an intense supply chain solution. You know, we're not... um, we don't just do returns, and we don't just do e-commerce fulfillment. We're providing solutions to all retailers wherever they are, because most of their problems are multifaceted, multi-regional. They're technology related, they're logistics related, and it's being able to provide that solution. You know the way it's been communicated to as we as we open buildings, we're providing an accessory solution to the primary solution of what malls were created for: aggregated retail. We're providing the aggregated logistics to support that.
0: Yeah. So that means multiple, might be multiple retailers in a single location then.
1: Our, our whole goal is to service every single retailer in that particular building, as well as digitally native brands that want to use the ecosystem. Once again, it is truly an ecosystem play. Look at where malls are built. Look at their transportation um, you know, uh, patterns around those malls, docks. Good movement for traffic, um, transportation. Trust me, we're not parking fifty, you know, fifty-three foot trailers out there. This is very low impact on spaces. Um, and from the perspective of the buildings that we've opened, um, it works well with the environment and the community. When you look at what's happening right now, a lot of communities, when they hear about a large distribution center coming into the or, into the region, they are actively working against it. Once again, we're using existing infrastructure. Um, we have. One industrial building that in two months will be in completely in malls. And that is that is our main goal in malls or aggregated retail of some sort because it's the ecosystem play.
0: Yep. So, you know, as, as you talk about, you know, hey, the advantages, the advantages to the mall operators, the advantages to the retailers, right, and, and consolidating this stuff. Um, what I keep hearing in my mind, and, and and maybe you're kind of saying this, but not actually saying this, right? Is that <laughs> this this is maybe a, more of a customer-first approach to logistics, right? And, and the idea is to get the goods to the customers as easily and as quickly as possible.
1: Yeah. I mean, so- think about channel-free is, once again, customers don't care about your retail problems. They, keep, they want their stuff. They want it shipped fast, shipped cheap price comparison, uh, price normalization, and return as fast as possible. Where do you do that? Closer to where those people live. And if you're able to do that, less touches, less time, less fossil fuels. I mean, you name it. Um, Better utilization of labor, everything. Because everybody lives around shopping malls. Lots of good good jobs in those areas.
0: Yeah. So how does that work then um, with the customer – the customer demand these days to get their items that day or the next day or, or two day delivery windows. If you're talking about smaller facilities, right, with multiple retailers, you're not mm-hmm. you're not stock, you're not stocking the inventory to fill whatever that customer may need. Right.
1: So so we do that now we we manage and stage inventory. But um, as we are working with customers right now, long term goal is to deploy the technology and the operations to aggregate to use store inventory. To continually to support the store inventory, whether, you know, some programs that we're actively working on now um, with our delivery marketplace and our network is being able to aggregate outbound demand, whether it is zone skipping a freight into our buildings where we sort it and push it into our outbound network. Um, Returns, being able to handle returns in an aggregated, you know, partners like Narvar and Loop are platform partners to us. Once again, we're not picking winners about which customers. Our whole goal is to build an ecosystem that every retailer can use um, because that's the way malls are, right? You're building a platform for a retailer to be able to use it. We want to do the same thing from the logistics perspective.
0: So so then the it, uh, if it's operating at peak efficiency, then um, the customer would not be expected to say, hey, well, I'm going to get this item in five days now because my local fulfillment center doesn't have it, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. you'd still be able to fulfill that item. Um, I imagine that's probably ties into inventory management um, and some of the other technologies that retailers need to use.
1: Correct. I mean, yeah, when you look at store inventory, retailers have a big problem when they're trying to manage the, um, what their own hands are. Part of the problem is they're using their OMS and deploying that, in to view inventory in stores. Stores have these things called customers. Customers touch, move, change, ticket switch, any number of different things. So the mechanics of how you manage waving, batching are different. And the ability to say, hey, can I aggregate in a region um, short shipped or short picked items that you can do it centrally in a particular region, whether it's, one philologic hub that supports multiple malls in our region. I mean, once again, it's the optionality to do both. Cause once again, we don't look at ourselves as saying, okay, we're gonna have these big enterprise 250,000 square foot buildings. That's not us. It's not, it's too expensive. Um, there's way too much competition. And look, we look at ourselves, we will work with anybody. We'll work with retailers, brands, digitally native brands, uh, 3PLs, parcel carers, you name it. Our whole point is it's an ecosystem that everybody uses. And, you know, we kind of look at it this way. It's the uh, many tentacled logistics octopus. You know, who do we play? Who do we work with?
0: Yeah. Um, you mentioned in previous answer, you mentioned returns. And and I want to get into returns and, and, and how this model works with returns. Um, National Retail Federation <laughs> says, hey, reverse logistics big costs for businesses, right? Sure. I, numbers I've seen anywhere from $360 billion to $1.8 which is this massive range, which tells me that we don't really know what reverse logistics actually is costing us these days very well. Um, but in order to handle returns, there's all these added costs. I mean, it, it can cost 10% of the total cost of goods, for instance, to return an item, depending on what that item is. Um, there's the lack of visibility, to re- items that return, can that item be resold? Does it need to be repaired? Does it need to be trashed or donated? You know, th- there's a lot of questions involved in that. So, as as you implement this channel free logistics approach um, for retailers and, and operations, how do how do returns fit into this equation for you guys? Yep,
1: um, and I appreciate you bringing that up because this is the part of our business that is based on some proprietary technology that we've built and deployed um, with people like Narvar and Loop. Um, this is one of our biggest growth um, opportunities because yeah, there's cost um, that's associated with it. And I think one of the biggest problems that is out there, there's a lot of platforms which will get the customer their money back. Mm -hmm. But from the retailer's perspective and think about apparel retail, you're looking at a 25% return rate, but that return, let's say you ship hundred units and 25 units are always coming back. But in many cases for a lot of these returns networks that are out there, the return process, you want to the lowest cost of freight. Uh, you want to do as much as you possibly can, but if it's going back through the reverse logistics supply chain, stuff could be sitting in a box for weeks. And that is a margin drain. Think about taking you know, apparel. Apparel is usually on an eight-week markdown cycle. If 25% of what you shipped is sitting in a box for half of its markdown cycle, wow, that's huge. So the way we've built it is, by doing returns in the middle mile, which is of course where malls are located. Uh, what we've been able to show is it's anywhere from 50 to 70% faster for our customers that are using that infrastructure right now. And they're because it's faster, they're getting 180% return um, uh, increased on full price selling by using our network because it's all about the aggregation and being able to do the receipt, the grading of that product as close to the point of return as possible. At the same time as we're building out with other customers, if those returns can be happening in that middle mile, it gives the opportunity for the retailers. Hey, not only do we do the returns, but if any inventory that's you know class A, class B, which is or uh, quality A, quality B, which is first quality merchandise, the ability to drop an order and fulfill it, um, or the ability to take action on it. You know, I, I call it solving the Shack problem. You know, Shack's got a big foot. If Shack you know drops off a shoe at a C or a D level store that inventory is going to be a markdown the ability to take returns and route it to where it can sell it's a huge component of it because yes reverse logistics is very expensive and it is very slow but the margin impact of what that means you know I, I don't have all the metrics on it i don't have a crystal ball that's for sure my crystal ball is a little cracked and cloudy but the important piece here is that we just haven't scratched the surface right OmniChannel has been breaking everybody else's models for the last couple of years the return process is part of that. So the issue is use your stores, use your infrastructure closer to where your consumers are. Let that be the first point of where you're touching and doing your returns. If you're sending it back to your reverse logistics network, your distribution centers don't want to see it, they don't want to touch it, and they're not going to touch it fast, yep. full stop.
0: Yep. So are you are you guys, when, when stuff comes back to you, um, to one of your facilities, I, I, do you have people there that are judging whether that can be resold or not? I mean, how is that? Absolutely, to, to absolutely. You're doing that there for them for those yep. retailers.
1: Correct. We even take an I- we take an image if something is um, slightly uh, slightly blemished because that inventory is a, is eligible for re-commerce and yep. the ability to say, hey, here's an endpoint that we have that you retailer either can integrate or a lot of these great. Um, uh commerce platforms we're working with, you know, a company like Recurate's a partner of ours. The ability to say, hey, that business is made because you have product detail. If you plug that into recommerce commerce platforms, it's an easy way for those folks to do business. And I think the, where the sustainability and circularity comes in, what we call grade D, which is truly damaged. Um, when you look at people who liquidate damaged inventory, it's like, okay, what's the best deal I got for somebody who's going to put it into a landfill? Our whole point is if you separate it by product type, right? What's cotton, what is blend, however you can bring it. It's not so much at this retailer's cotton t-shirts, it's all cotton t-shirts. And who will use that product either to recycle it or to be used as pillow stuffing, any number of things. It's, there's a whole marketplace in and of itself for that. Um, and that, that to us is what we think as, you know as a circularity sustainability platform, what are the options there? How can we avoid landfill product as much as we possibly can. One of the things that happens on returns, what we're seeing is bagless returns. Bagless returns is a way that people are trying to say, hey, you know, I don't put boxes and bags into the ecosystem. But bagless returns, as we see it, most of that inventory in some cases getting damaged when it's coming back through that network, we see it come through some of our partners. Um, and when we look at it, if we're able to handle it in the middle mile for the first two days, Imagine what that inventory looks like and how it's been stepped on five times until it gets back to a major distribution center. So bagless returns, forget about it. I think a big thing is how do you get to the point where the packaging that goes outbound from a retailer, how do you make that recyclable? We have some partnerships with some large uh, you know, providers that I will not mention, but the ability to say, I'm gonna take a bag back that is, is recyclable. And so when I'm processing the return, I'm gonna take that poly bag and I'm not going to throw it away that goes direct to a landfill. I'm going to be able to make that recyclable. That makes your outbound and your inbound and your returns um, and stock balancing much more cost effective and efficient.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of companies out there. I'm not going to get into any of them either. I don't know who you guys work with or whatnot. But uh, reusable packaging, um, the recommerce commerce sites, uh, a lot of those places do really well. Exactly. Um, and they're providing a great service, I think, for, for items that maybe can't be resold into a Correct. store or, or online and whatnot. So it's a great way to, especially for the retailer perspective, still recoup some revenue on that product. Right,
1: exactly. And our returns platform is not built just for e-commerce returns. It's also built for store store returns. Once again, the, the key thing for allowing, let's say, re-commerce to work is item level detail and fabric content. So if you're able to say, I've got this product back whether it's from a store or a customer and being able to say it's damaged, but whoever's gonna be in the re-commerce space that they wanna sell it. If you have that product level detail, they can pull images from the web and they can actually sell it. You can truly, I mean, re-commerce is a huge business that we help make profitable and efficient because it's that product level detail that's just so important. Yep.
0: Yep. Um, we've got a few minutes left. I wanna shift gears just slightly and talk a little bit about Philogic um, mm-hmm. here. Um, in November Why? You- just kidding. <laughs> Why? Because uh, because I'm a New England Patriots fan and I don't want to discuss oh, them, <laughs> for those of you that are football fans. Come on, man. Um, you, had, you had a couple of good years. Yeah. <laughs> a few years. It worked out well. For, <laughs> now, now I feel like I'm back in my youth again, love watching the team. So, um, so Back in November, uh, you guys closed the $13 million Series A investment mm-hmm. round, led by Revelry Venture Partners, I believe. Absolutely. Um, Two two interesting points that you know when I read the press release about that was and, and the first one was one that you were able to close a funding round during a time when investors kind of shied away from logistics related investments these days Mm -hmm. Um, and the investment community itself has been down in 20 was down in 2023 anyway Um, and and the second reason is it's given you an opportunity to really expand and and do that kind of quickly so um the two points so on the on the first point um as you went out looking for the funding round did you guys have trouble finding investors interested in getting involved in your business and and what did you find that environment like as you were doing that
1: Well, you know, as a logistics person, I'm a logistics snob. I've lived most of my life in retail. I love logistics, love technology. Um, Raising money is not something that I'm a specialist at, but, you know, as starting a company that's venture backed, you got to get good at it. Uh, I think I'm very lucky to have an astounding board um, to support the business. But I think one of the things is we've got some pretty tremendous proof points. Um, you know, we've grown a couple of hundred percent each year for the last three years. I'm not going to go into those details. Um, but once again, we are a differentiated platform because once again, we're not your traditional, like, we're, like. think about it this way. We get compared sometimes to 3PLs, but 3PLs are about optimizing their existing infrastructure, right? Their buildings, their infrastructure, their people, we're about what the future is. Channel free logistics is using existing infrastructure, malls, um, using existing inventory that's in that region, retailers' inventory, using everything that is completely different and anathema to what the last 20 years have been. So that's a differentiator for us, but also the ability, our growth being able to show it and the true metrics that we've been able to show people from a success perspective. Um, you know, let's be fair it's not easy. I don't think it's ever supposed to be easy. Um, but I think we, we've got a lot of good things going on. We've built a lot of great things from the technology perspective that differentiates us from others. And so I, I like to think that that is a big part of it.
0: Okay. And and the, the second part of that question really is, is moving forward. I mean, you've got this fresh funding um, and obviously it sounds like you guys have been very successful in what you've done already um, to this point. Um, I think you have, Eight locations, six more in the works, and you're planning twenty more or something like that.
1: Minimally, um, correct.
0: Yeah, can you can you kind of talk about one um, when you look for a location to go into? What what mm-hmm. exactly are you looking for from from that standpoint? From that location, is, is it geography? Is it you know access to retailers, et cetera? And then what how, where do you see Philogic going in the next few years?
1: Sure, All right. great question. Thank you for that. Um, I, I think what's really important is. To understand as an ecosystem, we look where malls are. So where B and A plus malls are, that's where we want to be. Um, it's usually distinct marketing areas through, through the US. Um, you know, we have a plan to get to a specific group of DMAs by the end of uh, 2024. Don't want to get too much into that detail. Um, but it's about having enough of that infrastructure to truly say we have a national network. And I think one of the most important pieces is from Philogic, a retailer builds an integration to us once. We can turn them on in any one of our facilities just through a configuration and that gives retailers an instant network. Um, And at the same time that ecosystem play opens up lots of additional opportunities for brands that want to expand their footprint, expand with us. Um, We just signed a Fortune 100 brand uh, that we'll announce later this year that is uh, launching a product in the United States that we are going to be their only provider. Um, that in and of itself uh, shows that people are really starting to understand. And and let's just put it this way, channel-free as a process, um, everybody understands that. And as we look at from a channel-free ecosystem, we want to be where the people are. People are around malls. And where we're around malls, that's great. Now, after the next year and a half to two years, uh, lots of interest for international expansion because where there's people, believe it or not, there's malls. There's thousands of of malls um, uh, across the world. We were in Europe um, last week. Was it last week? I can't remember. Um, and there's malls there uh, there where whatever we do, aggregated retail, there is a need and an interest for aggregated logistics.
0: Yeah. And I, I think if we've learned anything, people still love to shop.
1: We are social <laughs> beings. This is why I work from home. Uh, okay. Don't try to be crazy. People want to... I can communicate via Zoom and we can have these great conversations, fantastic. But if we are really going to know each other and work with each other, we have to be together. There's just no way. There's just no way around it. And you're right. You know, I I always look at it from this way and I don't want to cost cause, cause too much shade. CNBC has been talking about the death of the mall forever. Yeah. Stop. Stop. I mean, just look at Simon. Simon is growing and evolving. Um, you know, the best malls. Um, are doing very very well, and they will continue to do well because they're the folks that understand the future still physical, absolutely.
0: And and, and going back to like going back right to the very beginning, what I mentioned, um, you know, with the malls and the things I've seen and how they've, you know, to me it's almost like the when the malls started. I and I don't know when malls started in the forties, thirties, fifties, whatever that whatever yep. that was mm-hmm. well, before my time on you know. Um, you know, they were designed as centerpieces of the community and destinations, right? For people needed to go, um, and that was the point of them. And then they started moving away from urban centers and, you know, out in, into suburbs and, and things like that. And it kind of died a little bit. And and we've had these obviously rapid changes in retail over the last several years, but over really over the last forty years, retail has been changing and it, and it keeps changing and will continue to change. Mm-hmm. And now I see the malls reinventing themselves and going back to that destination site where you can go. And 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 50 years ago, you went just to do your shopping. Now you're going to do some shopping. You might let the kids go play you know, in some of the activity centers that are taking place. I mean, in our local mall, we've got a slingshot store. You mm-hmm. go in and practice slingshotting um, and knocking bottles and things down. And um, we've got a gaming center um, set up for people who are into Dungeons and & Dragons and games like that. Um, so you're getting all... It, it's, it's really becoming a centerpiece of communities in some cases
1: and um, right in the basement or an elbow joint or a demise department store. That is where Philogic right. is.
0: Yep. Yep. So, um, you, you guys, unfortunately, if you visit them all, you won't be the C for logic, but they're, there helping you. We're, <laughs> once
1: again, we are, uh, backend infrastructure. That's our whole goal. We do have some customer facing, uh, components to the business for returns. Um, you know, once again, when you look at returns, returns should be every option of returns that you have to drop off, whether it's UPS, whether it's FedEx. This is a component because retailers are looking for options and everybody's a little bit different from a business model perspective. And our whole point is we really don't care. Our whole point is we want to manage the logistics and the logistics technology component to it, because the bigger the box, the lower the cost per unit. And that's a whole thing of what we're focused on.
0: Yep. Bill, thank you so much for time today. I um, want to give you, for people who might be interested in getting in touch with Philogic, how might they go about doing that?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, you go to philogic.com. That's F-I-L-L-O-G-I-C.com. Um, you can reach us on LinkedIn. We're pretty active out there. Um, yeah, we're, we're around. Easy to find us.
0: Yep. I, I found you, so thank uh... I'm That's sure good. as well. We appreciate that. Many of my listeners, I think, are much smarter than I, so they'll find you as well. <laughs> so, um, Bill, thank you very much. I want to thank you for coming on um, and speaking with us today and tell us a little bit thank more you. about the logic and, and, and the business you guys are in. And a special thank you to all of you out there listening today. I greatly appreciate you spending time with us. For Supply Chain Management Review and Talking Supply Chain Podcast, I'm Brian Strait. Thank you for listening. Talking Supply Chain is produced by Supply Chain Management Review and Peerless Media. You can find it on scmr.com, supplychain247.com, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. For more information on this topic, or to sign up for our weekly newsletter, a print or a digital subscription to our publication, visit scmr.com. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For Supply Chain Management Review, I'm Brian Strait, and thank you for listening.